Wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 45 featuring the legendary professional wrestling photographer, George Napolitano, who we'll be talking about in just a moment. We're both from Brooklyn, so this is going to be fun. But before we get to that, I don't have a lot to get into this week other than our um, interview for the week. But I wanted to make mention of the new issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which just appeared this week in digital form. It's the February issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And I have a couple of columns in that issue that I think... Uh, listeners may be interested in one in particular is uh, of interest to old school wrestling fans because it is the um, my monthly column the way it was which for readers of the magazine know focuses on um, nostalgia old school stuff that kind of thing and this particular month in the new february issue um, i am talking about a great and often forgotten tag team uh, of the original Blonde Bombers. And that, of course, would be Swede Hansen and Rip Hawk, uh, especially well-known in Florida, Georgia, Mid-Atlantic territories in the 60s and 70s. And uh, so I did a column kind of talking about their accomplishments, remembering them. The reason I did that, of course, in this issue is uh, the February 2023 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated is the issue that also has the uh, the annual tag team rankings. We do the tag team 100 every year, kind of like the PWI 500 and the women's 150. This year's the tag team 100. Uh, it's expanded this year to 100, and um, it's pretty cool. Of course, we'll get our usual gripes and complaints and conflicts online over who the appropriate number one was and all the rankings and all that kind of thing. But in the meantime, you can enjoy my Way It Was column on um, the original Blonde Bombers, Rip Hawk and Sweet Hansen. Also, my column, The Lockup, is in there, which this month has to do with injuries in wrestling and just the seriousness of what professional wrestlers do and how serious injury is always just around the corner. Uh, this was prompted by the recent concussion suffered in the ring by Hangman Adam Page not too long ago. Uh, got me thinking, and so I I, I put my lockup column this month um, in the issue on that subject. So a couple of of my columns in the new February issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. You can get it at PWI-Online in digital form. You can also order the print form. That's not going to be available for another week or two, but the digital form you can order and download immediately at PWI-Online.com. 
One more thing really quick that I'd like to mention, and it's sort of like with a mixture of excitement and dread that I'm mentioning uh, this. But as you are listening to this, uh, let's see, this episode is being posted on Wednesday, December 7th. So uh, it would be I would be remiss if I did not mention, plug, push, notify my listeners that on Tuesday, December 13th, which, yes, also happens to be my birthday for those who really care. But on Tuesday, December 13th, in the evening, Vice TV is finally premiering their documentary, The Nine Lives of Vince McMahon, which is, of course, all about the former WWE chairman and CEO and his many uh, accomplishments slash scandals slash life events. Many people were interviewed for this documentary, including yours truly. And I've been informed that uh, my comments are heavily represented in the episode or in the documentary. And so uh, honestly, to be truthful, I don't even remember half of what I said. So I'm going to be watching with the same rapt attention and interest that you will be. So I encourage listeners of Shut Up and Wrestle to check out um, the nine lives of Vince McMahon on Vice TV. That's Tuesday evening, December 13th. And uh, I guess let me know what you think. Maybe I'll be lauded as a conquering hero, or maybe I will wake up with a horse's head in my bed. We shall see. So with that said, let's get to my conversation with George Napolitano. Uh, As I say in the introduction that you're about to hear, one of those people that you always see wandering around ringside in old school wrestling tapes because he his presence was ubiquitous. And, you know, he started in Brooklyn just like I did. And so we had a lot to talk about and reminisce about. He was very candid and uh, has so many years of experience to cover. He will definitely be, be, be back for a part two. Just so much to talk about. Just want to quickly mention on a technical side, um, on George's end during the interview, you might hear a few times kind of an email notification uh, bell or ding that goes off, uh, a, a minor technical issue there apologies for that we were not able to silence that sound but it only pops up a few times and the interview is still well worth your time and attention so i hope you enjoy this conversation that i did with george napolitano and i'm going to take you to it right now okay so this week on shut up and wrestle i would like to welcome one of the true legends of wrestling journalism, wrestling photography. He is uh, one of those people that if you are an old school wrestling fan and you are watching your favorite match or show from, let's say, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s and beyond, if, if you look really closely, you will see him at ringside taking pictures. Uh, the man is everywhere. He's a legend. And very recently, um, which I'm I'm going to want to talk about, he got put over in a big way by none other than The Rock himself, Dwayne Johnson. It was really fantastic. I'm talking about George Napolitano. George, welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle. Oh, thank you very much. I say uh, great greeting. <laughs> It's it's the least I can do. It's true, like I said, and you know I said the same thing to Bill Apter, and I've said it to Craig Peters. Um, you know, as somebody that grew up on wrestling, it's always like, and and then later I got to know you. You know, when I worked at WWE and stuff, and see you around, it's one of those things where uh, 
I knew who you were before I even know, knew what your name was because I'd seen you so many times on, on TV. Uh, so that's, that's, that's very nice of you. Thank you. And, and I also want to say too, and I know I'm not alone in this, but I bought, you know, when I was a kid, I used to love finding those giant photo books that you always okay. put out. They would be at the bookstore, at the mall, or whatever the case may be, and I would just have to get my hands on it because as a kid, all you know, in those days before the internet, you didn't really get to see a lot other than what was on TV. And there were these great, you know, historical pictures, pictures from other companies. I got to see what Hulk Hogan looked like when he was a heel, things like that. It was great. Those books were fantastic. Yeah, a lot of people have said the books helped them learn about wrestling and that there was wrestling other than where they lived. It gave them a, a whole new outlook on wrestling itself. I yeah, every- that's that's very true. In those days, you had such a there was such a limited uh, view. If you were a fan, you really didn't know what was happening in other places, especially yeah. I didn't even have cable. So I all I knew was WWF Saturday morning, Sunday morning, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Where do you live? Where are you from? I'm from I live in Connecticut now, but I'm uh-huh. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. So um, that's also what I mean when I say, you know, I used to go to the garden all the time. And even though I think in the era when I was going to Madison Square Garden, late 80s into the 90s, I don't think that you guys were allowed to shoot ringside anymore at that time, right? We weren't. We, we, we weren't. Uh, from when the Iron Sheik won from then, that point on into the 90s. Now, how did that actually work? Because I remember hearing that a lot. I heard it from Bill and other people like, how did they, how did you find out that you were not welcome anymore at ringside? Well, Arnold Scolan came and told us that they didn't want us at ringside anymore. <laughs> it was, it was just it, you know, like, uh, but I had a premonition, a hunch. I knew I was told that, uh, that by Vince McMahon himself, that he was going to take over the wrestling world and he was not going to be allowing outside photographers other than his own. Right. Was there ever an option for you to go to work for him? Yes. Yes. He had, asked me, he had asked me if I wanted to work with him. And, and well, you can move to Connecticut like you did. Move to <laughs> Connecticut and, uh, and, and work for us. But this is before they even did anything. So I didn't know what I would be getting myself into. I said, I'm married. I have two kids. I live in Brooklyn. I like what I do. Everything is fine. I'd rather continue doing what I'm doing. He says, well, you might not be able to do what you're doing because I'm taking over. But what it really did is it made me and others go go all throughout the wrestling world, so to say. Right. And to and and to really go across the country and and, and to take pictures and interviews and meet other wrestlers from other parts of the country. And I know, like, for example, when I talk to the people that used to work for London Publishing and those magazines, um, they wound up featuring the other promotions much more heavily. So, like, that's that's what I did. And it, yeah. and really what it, what it did was it, it made these other promotions live longer than they would have lived if Vince would have said, uh, why don't you just use our guys? We're going to be big. And we would have. We would have. And uh, 
you might not have really heard about the Fantastics and Fabulous Ones and Midnight Express and all these other people. That's very true. Those magazines in those days and in the mid to late 80s, I think you were with the Starlog group at that time, right? Yes. Yes. Those magazines, they they gave that's what made them so interesting was you could read about Memphis, you could read about Crockett. I mean, Crockett was all over those magazines and the AWA and all these things that yeah. for a kid in New York, at least it was like, you know, you, you didn't really know what was going on in those places. Like I said, I didn't even have cable, so I couldn't even watch, you know, like um, NWA or Crockett or anything like that. Yeah, well, it, it, it made us cover everyone else extensively you know and uh and if you look through the magazine it looked like they were on equal footing with the wwf at that time right. or actually they even look they look better because the pictures were better we had better access so you had better better coverage outside of the wwf and um so but there was a point though a little bit later where they started kind of letting you back for a while was wasn't oh, there like did. In the late nineties, they they let us back because the uh, WCW and uh, and also ECW. If you bought a magazine in nineties uh, at some point, ECW, WCW, and WWE were on the same equal footing. Actually, if you really was a fan, they uh, WCW Mid Atlantic looked bigger. Had more had more coverage than what the WWE did, and so did ECW. People saw ECW; they thought they were looking at this major, big arena, when it really was a shoebox. But the way we write about it, it looked it looked tremendous. So what the WWE did was they called and says, "From now on, you can come and take pictures at our uh, anytime you want." But I, I said, "I'm I don't have to. Thank you very much. It's okay," <laughs> and. I told them I really didn't care to at that time, you know. Right. But really, in my mind, I was, I was just not realizing that they really were going to let us in. I thought it was any one of those things you'll be letting and kicked out again at some point, you know. Well, well, eventually it did stop again because now I, I think. Well, it's but that was a different reason. It didn't really right. stop. We had uh, we had access hard camera, which I still do. Right. You next to the hot camera and you take a long shot. It's not the same as ringside, but it's uh, less dangerous, I will say. And I think that you still, but you still do, like, for example, like the yeah. MSG house shows and things, right? Because I've seen you ringside at MSG house shows yeah. in recent years. Yeah, I have and uh, can still do it. And uh, I, 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 today I'll cover MLW, probably right. one of the few places I really cover. And I'll go uh, on occasion to whatever is around or whatever I'm around to do. You know? And, you know, um, nowadays, especially with WWE, it's all about, you know, that they have ever since they switched to HDTV. And from what I understand, Kevin Dunn's whole thing is he doesn't want to see any photographers in the shot. Even to, right. Yeah. Even to the point where even WWE's photographers have to stay out of the way in little corners of the ringside area where they don't get picked up on camera. And I have to imagine that makes it a hell of a lot harder to do your job. It's it, it, it is, it is, a diff, but they follow the video camera and wherever the video camera is, is a WWE photographer right behind them with their butts, knowing to look left, to look right, to look center, 
Right. But the, but they have to just kind of hope that something good happens on their side of the ring. They, they can't just but, run but over two, to the other side. But they got two or three of them. It's not just one person covering it. And right. as I said, you have your headset on. They got a headset on. They know what's going on. We never had the ability to have a headset. We had to figure out what was happening right. around us and what was where the chair was going to come over our head or when a table was going to be broken at our feet. <laughs> so are are you still are you still in Brooklyn now? You is that where you are? Yeah, I am still in Brooklyn, yeah. Wow, that that's amazing. So so like how did you get started doing this? I'm assuming it was WWF back in the day. Yes, it was WWF. I went to a match at Madison Square Garden. I want to say 1969. And uh, I took my my girlfriend, fiance, and I said, tonight is going to be wrestling. And I used to go when I was a kid. She said, no, let's go. We went to Madison Square Garden. And then uh, we liked it. It was it was fun. It was something I hadn't seen in a bunch of years. And then uh, they announced next week, Sunnyside Gardens. It was a Saturday afternoon show. And then she said, well, you want to go? So Saturday afternoon, we went to Sunnyside Gardens in Queens. And uh, I had a camera, and I kept on running up and back, just taking pictures or whatever. And somebody stopped me and said, uh, hey, you got a great camera. You must take good pictures. I said, I don't know. He says, you want to work for me? I said, work for you? I had no idea what I meant. He says, oh, next time you come, show me your, bring, bring pictures and show me what you have. So a month, six weeks later, whenever the next Sunnyside Garden show was, I went with the pictures I had taken. He said, oh, these are great. These are great. You want to work for me? I said, yeah. <laughs> but again, I had no idea what I was getting into. I just, you know, I just had took pictures. So who, who was, was the who was the guy that was asking you that? His name was F. Sanchez Acosta. Worked for Ring Wrestling. Ring Wrestling. Yes, that was a great magazine. I love that magazine. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of mm-hmm. old issues of that. Right. And then he, uh, he, he gave me his story. And he says, go to see Nat Lubey. He was the editor, publisher. And tell him that you're going to be my photographer and you're going to be the photographer and give him my story. So that weekend or whenever I read the story and I couldn't, I couldn't make, seriously, I couldn't make heads or tails out of it. I didn't know, I didn't know what it was. And I never... I was never really good at English. I never considered myself a writer. I couldn't write compositions. But uh, when I brought in the story, I was a little embarrassed. Like, like I don't want him to think that this was my story. <laughs> so, if ever you need something, I think maybe I could do something almost as good. <laughs> just, yeah, write whatever you like. Uh, you Just bring it to me. Well, he didn't know what he was getting into. Then I wrote, under uh, five, six, seven different names. Oh, I was throwing the whole magazine with all different names. And I started writing, you know, and uh, he would write it, this, uh, this fellow, Sanchez, would write his story and I would give him pictures and I would then do basically the other half of the magazine under different names. That's something that I think a lot of people don't realize is what that would happen a lot in those old wrestling magazines where the, the staff was really small. There'd be two or three people and they'd be writing everything. I, I you know, under under various um, pseudonyms. Well, that's what I did at, uh, at Starlog when I did when I did at least 12 different titles. 
I would write all different names. I mean, I had I had people, I had a few people across the country that I could depend on, and I would get a story from the Midwest or uh, Pacific Northwest or maybe uh, whatever AWA. I would get a story from different people, and I filled up the other stuff with different names. I, I didn't put my name on it on everything. I was the editor, but I put different names on the stories just to just because. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you don't, cause you don't want people to, to go, Oh, wow. It's just one guy making this whole magazine yeah. by himself. You want to create that illusion of a, of a giant staff well, or whatever. That's what it, was. it was a big illusion, right? But I was a staff. I was a staff of one <laughs> just about, <laughs> and then really. And I would, uh, have meetings with myself and decide what it is. Those, those are the best kind. Those are the best kind to have. No, no arguments. But um, you, you also, I think, for a while um, there, you were doing, you were working on before Vince started doing his own magazines. Yeah. They had you guys kind of doing a magazine for them, right? I did. You the did. Magazine. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, was, wrestling. it was called Wrestling Action. Right, right, right. That came before the Vince McMahon other victories series was wrestling action. And weren't you weren't you working on the programs too before they started doing that's that's another thing. Yeah, I would I was doing the programs for wrestling news. I was the East Coast so I would do that I was the editor of the East Coast edition of Wrestling News. Right. WWF edition. And uh, then the programs in the garden, I would put put together the eight page program, whatever, whatever it was. And then, and then I would, I would pick up the programs at the airport, bring them to the garden, bring them to Nassau, bring them to the local spots. And then at the end of the night, would have to go to the vendor and see how much was sold. I did. That was another part of something that I did. And how did that work? Did it, they got part of it and you got part of it? or, or Yeah, well, that... I, I was working for Wrestling News. So whatever that, I just, my right. that was part of my job to was to be the editor of the program and then to get the returns and whatever else was, was left over, you know. Yeah, and, and um, so then and, when... And, and nobody, nobody ever told me, do this, do that, write about this guy, put this guy over. Nobody. I was never asked or quote told who to push, who to who, wow. what to do, what to write. Who, I just did it. Whatever came to my, whatever came to, what came to my mind. So you never got any like uh, there was never any feedback like we don't like this or we no. don't we, we don't no, you know. No. Yeah. Nobody ever told me what to write, what not to write, who who to put over, who not to put over. I and in those programs and in the magazine. I would I would always write about S.D. Jones and Johnny Rods and Carlos Rocha and all these other people because I would see them all the time, and they would look through them and if they after a while you you feel bad, <laughs> you know like if I'm only featuring the main guys, do I feature everybody? That was well, that, what. I did. Yeah, it's it, I mean you were giving exposure to people that normally wouldn't have a lot and I I think I think fans and readers appreciated learning about those guys too. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that but what it was it was enjoyable, it was good and was good when it while it lasted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to talk to you about um the rock thing because okay. that reminds me of that because um, you know, 
<laughs> talking for people that don't know, and I'm going to, I'll post the links of it online and everything recently. I want to say maybe a couple of weeks ago when there was the, the movie premiere for black Adam, the rock, the rocks, new movie, Dwayne Johnson's new movie, which has been huge. You were there shooting the red carpet. And I know we've talked before and you've told me that's kind of stuff you do all the time on the side, yeah. like movie premieres and things. And he spotted you and came over and started not only talking to you, but toasted you and everything. And it got on social media. And, and you know, you're talking about the biggest, not just the biggest wrestling star, the biggest star basically in the world <laughs> putting you over. I thought it was fantastic because it showed his humility that he recognized your importance and remembered you. And I just, you know, he just seems like such a cool guy. Yeah, well, well, that that showed the kind of person he was. Just forget, take myself out of it. Could have been anybody. That shows his humility and uh, how he how he treats people. I forget it. It was me. It could have been anybody, but it was the way he was thanking me. He was thanking a lot of people mm-hmm. for the help that he got through his career. I, I'll I'll say this. When he was uh, 12, yeah, I met him. I, he was 12 years old. I knew his father, used to photograph the father, and I used to photograph the, uh, the grandfather, high chief Peter Maivia, and the wife who was the promoter in Hawaii. They all, know, they all knew me by name. I mean, that he was, so he was just thanking me about that, you know. And did you, did you actually go out to Hawaii to shoot their, their promotion? I never did, but I was invited so many times. Just Hawaii was so far and one time I was in Japan and I was on my way back. I was going to go to Hawaii. But then the, at the last minute, they changed my ticket to fly direct into New York. See, people used to go to Hawaii, leaving Japan to come back to the States. Right. You got there. And then they, they started making the direct nonstop flights to New York. So I took a nonstop flight from, uh, from Tokyo back to New York. And yeah, I, I know. Yeah, because I know in the old days, a lot of guys would work, let's say if they were working California and they were booked in Japan, they would try to work Hawaii either on, on the, the way, way there it, or on the way back. Right. That was, that was that was a rest, you know, but, but but getting back to the rock. So I, I saw him on the on the red carpet as soon as you as soon as he came on, he's he spotted me and he says he says, I'm I'm coming. He, he mounted. I'm coming over to see you. But uh, but I don't know what that means. There were so many people there right. in front of us. We were behind a stanchion, and in front of us, there were people sitting down, holding up their cell phones and people with iPads. I said, "This guy's not going to be able to walk to me because there's too many people in front of me." You know, I I seen him uh, leave the after he took some pictures. He he left his his area and he goes to a girl. He goes, "Get my bottle and two glasses." I, I he's like directly in my view. I mean, I could see what he's saying. So then he brings the bottle and he gives me a glass, gives himself a glass and pours. He says, I got to make a toast to you. And that's how it started. Whatever you saw, there was five minutes before that. Wow. More that, that he did, you know, until, until the, uh, the video people start realizing I'm going to have to clip this, you know, let me, uh, let me do something with this. Well, you know, I, I think what, what was amazing to me about it too, is when you shoot events like that, now that's not a wrestling event. Mm-hmm. So you have people there that they don't know anything about wrestling and, and they yeah. may not know who you are. You know, there aren't other wrestling photographers there. 
So here you have the Dwayne Johnson coming over. Did you have people going, well, who the heck is this guy that he's friends with the rock? Wow. Who well, is this, this guy? This had happened a couple of years ago. Uh, he was, he, he won an award time 100, 100 most influential people in the, in the world. And he was one of the most influential people and he's doing the red carpet. And as he does the red carpet, again, he's right in front of me, George. And he comes off the line, starts hugging me. And now all the other photographers yell, we need pictures. We need pictures. Stop talking. Stop. So he he went and says, he looked at them and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't know who I'm talking to. This is a Hall of Fame photographer. This is my friend. And I'll give you pictures when I feel like it. I have to say hello to George. Now, these people didn't know. A couple knew, but most had no idea what else I did or do, you know, and they were, right. they were stunned. So now a couple of years later, they kind of know more, but not everybody. They, they think I'm just one of them, you know, like, which I am. I'm one of them. I'm just another uh, one of uh, 75 <laughs> different photographers who take pictures of uh, paparazzi yeah. style. Well, sometimes those photographers, I mean, like what you just described, I, I mean, they can get so bossy and, and yeah. nasty. It's like, you know, uh, it's almost like they're acting like the the talent and the celebrities are working for them. Okay. You know? That's all that, that that's their mindset. You know, like horrible. I'm here and uh, you're working for me. But if you if you if you heard that video, you hear them in the back screaming my name. I mean, they, 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 they were cheering. Right. Because, because you never really get to see a celebrity greet a photographer or somebody else and that's really what that that was and it's the humility that he's got you know and i mean i i'm assuming it's not you know he seems like a really genuine person i had very minimal interaction with him when i worked at wwe because by that point he already was starting to go off to hollywood so he wasn't really on the road a lot too much but he always seemed like he he never forgot where he came from. And I have to say that's something I noticed with Cena now too, who's kind of following the path that, yeah. that Dwayne took in that he still remembers where he came from and he's humble and he's, and he's still good to the people that helped him. I think yeah. I was going to say when, uh, when he first started, when he first started wrestling, he came up to me and said, I'm, um, I'm new here. I'm rocking my via says, but I've known you. I've saw you since I'm 12 years old. And I said, I met you before. I said, yeah, I know. And he said, uh, if anything you ever need, you do, all you got to do is ask because I owe it to you. Any Anything, anything, because you, you took care of my father and my grandfather, anything I can do for you. But I said, in my own mind, I said, do I need this rookie? <laughs> <laughs> what do I need him for? But I, you know, I, I appreciated what he said, you know, like it was very nice of him to, to, to ask, to ask me if I needed anything to, to say it and, and, to, and to ask him. And every time I've seen him, and I've seen him a bunch of times, not a lot, but I've seen him a bunch of he'll always, always ask, how you doing? How's your family? How you been? Do, can I help you? Do you need anything? That's his litany. And he'll just go through the whole thing. That's great. Obviously, still to this day. And I'm talking about years ago when he first saw me. And that's what he said. Well, that, that's the impression that you made on, on so many people. And I know, you know, one of the things I feel like that is lacking now, unfortunately, is because they don't allow a lot of you guys to kind of be there for the really big shows, like really in the midst of everything. I'm wondering if you run in, do you run into the issue now where 
the younger talent aren't really as familiar with you and what you did. And and maybe the older guys need to say, do you know who this guy is? You need to know who this guy is. Well, that, that happens all the time. Yeah. So I, I really, really don't know the young guys. Forget the WWE guys from the performance. And I don't know any of them. Or if I see them, I, I don't, I don't know them. I've never met them. They may know me if they had been a fan, if they weren't a fan. And now it's, to the point where it's so long ago that even right. if they were a fan, they wouldn't have no idea who, who I was, you know. But uh, if there's somebody who, who stops, like the like the other day, uh, I said the other day, I meant a couple of weeks ago, at the MLW show, it was Hugo Savinovich, Puerto Rican manager, the, the, the sure. voice of the WWE for Spanish for a long time. Was was talking to me and somebody came over and he says and he introduced me. He says, "You got to know this guy. This is the guy you got to know." And so he went and explained it to him who I was. You know, like this was just a couple of weeks ago, but that happens all the time. I'm sure, and you know, because like you said, now it's been so long of a time. Oh. That's what happens for a lot of the guys now. Even if they were fans, um, a lot of these guys weren't even born until the 21st century, you know, sometimes. I, I, I say the, the last group of people who really know what I did was the Dudleys. Mm, yeah. They came from UCW and they, and they, they know that the magazines and what we did for the, for them and through the magazines helped them get into the WWE and help their career. And, and Bubba will always say it. I mean, they'll, they'll continually say it. How much I helped them in that, you know. That's the thing that for a lot of younger fans, it's so important to remember, you know, it's been said before, but, you know, before the internet, those magazines, that was the lifeblood. If you were getting featured in those magazines, I mean, you were, you were off to the races, like, like the, you know, and a lot of you, you guys had a lot of power in a way of picking, you know, who you were going to help out. Like I know when I talk again, when I talked to Bill, like for example, two of his favorites were always Dusty Rhodes and Mil Mascaris. And I have to say that I think, and not that those guys needed the help, they were huge stars, but I think they were helped by the fact that they got put in the magazine so much on covers and things, and it helped to push them and get them over. And I know when you started, Bruno San Martino was on so many covers in those days. I, I had a group of people that I would somehow put in something about them every month. Kevin Sullivan being one of them. Yeah. I, would, I, I became friendly with Kevin when he first started in WWF in the early 70s, 73, 74. And we'd be, we remained friends for all the time. So I would use Kevin all the time. I would use the sheep herders, the bushwhackers. I met them uh, in, in the 70s. And then in Puerto Rico, I did so much with them. And to this day, I, I talked to Bushwhacker Luke, you know, but you would always see the Bushwhackers in my magazines and Kevin right. Sullivan right. and uh, a couple others. There were, were a few others, the Fantastics. I did a lot with them. I love Bobby Fulton. He was a great guy. And Tommy and I, Rogers. And I have to say, for somebody that was at the newsstand on 18th Avenue in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, picking those magazines up every week, which was me, um, I got to know all of them and like what was, you know, their style and everything. And I always found that the Starlog ones, I'm not just saying that because you're here, but 
they were they they seemed to me to have some of the best photography and now i understand why because you were the force behind it but mm-hmm. i mean like there was so they were very photography heavy and i mean that yeah. in a good way uh that, well, see, that, I, I used to do uh, if, if i did in one month and i forget ringside wrestling all-star tv wrestler wrestling scene superstar wrestler came right off the top of my head every uh Every week I was doing a different one. I had so many pages that I, I filled them. I had to fill them up somehow. And I would give these magazines out and I would see people that would look at the pictures. And a lot of times they weren't reading all the stuff I wrote. And I says, I'm writing all this stuff, mm-hmm. taking time. I said, I, I could just fill it up with photos. So save me a whole lot of time. So that's what I did. I did. I became more photo heavy. Yes. And, uh, but of course there were a lot of stories and, and, and another thing, people just consider me a photographer, but I, I wrote I mean, yes. so, so, so much. I mean, I, I'm just known as a photographer, whereas I, I wrote for almost every set of photos I wrote, I took, I wrote something about I also, um, I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. No, that's okay. I also noticed that at least when I was buying yeah. them, the Starlog magazines were the physically bigger than the other yeah. magazines. They were actually bigger, which made them very impressive. We did a lot of color. We did the color more than, or before they really. Uh, right, that's right. That's right. Because some of the others would have would be would, they might have a color section, but they would be mostly black and white. And you guys were in color, I think, yeah, ahead was, of them. Yeah, was sixty percent color, and then black and white forty percent. And I always made sure to do a, a, a full page, double page fold out, color photo uh, pose because I knew people like that. You know. Now, how did um, – because I always wondered about this because, mm-hmm. you know, I was a big fan in the 80s and 90s even of the magazine Starlog itself, the science fiction magazine yeah. Starlog. And they also – most people today know them from Fangoria, the horror mm-hmm. magazine. That's like their bread and butter. How did it come – so I was buying those magazines already, and I would see the little Starlog mm-hmm. logo on the cover of your magazines – how did it happen that Starlog, who they were really movie magazines, how did they get into wrestling business? Uh, the uh, the art director used to be at the author at that time. The art director was the art director for Wrestling World. Ah, okay. And when he was at Wrestling World, we became friendly, and he he, he knew that I would give stories from everywhere. He called me and said, uh, "I'm working for a Starlog. I've been doing this for a bit, and." Uh, we want to do a wrestling magazine. And they asked me if I knew anybody. He says, of course, the only person I'm going to say I, I know is you. He says, you think you can do it? I said, yeah, I can do it. <laughs> and that's how it, that's how it happened. You know, like uh, and he had, uh, he had asked me if, 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 if I wanted to come and meet the, the publisher. And I said, yeah, and I did. And at that point I was also doing uh, wrestling's main event. Right. That was another good one. I know. Uh, did you did you know Mike Edison? I know I knew Mike when yeah. he worked there. Yeah, he came. That was after me. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. He I'm I'm good friends with him and he's talked a lot about working there and how much fun it was to be there. But um, the Starlog magazines. Now, another thing I'm curious about is that company now today, it's changed hands a whole bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And it seems like I think the only thing they're still doing is Fangoria. They're not even doing Starlog anymore. Do they still own the, the rights to all those old wrestling magazines or who owns all that now? That's a good question. I, <laughs> no, I have no idea. And they're probably in there some landfill somewhere. 
Yeah, that, that's interesting to me because, you know, I was thinking about recently, I've been thinking about maybe doing a book about the history of all these wrestling magazines. And one of the hardest things to me, what I'm finding out is trying to figure out who actually still owns them, especially the ones that are long gone. If anybody owns the rights to them yeah, or the, things like that. The, uh, well, what, what had happened is uh, somebody approached Norman Jacobs, who was the publisher, mm-hmm. want, wanting to buy a Starlog. They wanted the title Starlog. So he sold Starlog. He sold the Fangoria. They wanted to come out with, with videos and make movies. This is when Star Wars just hit big, you know. So they figured with the titles, owning Starlog, they would then be able to pursue something else. And he told me, uh, I asked him about the wrestling. He says, they don't want, to, they don't want any, anything to do with it. But the guy was getting older and he says, I'm, I said, we're finished. So he just like went boom. And I want to say it was about 2003, 2004. Not exactly sure. That that's sounds when, about right. Yeah. That's when uh, I stopped doing the magazines. So probably the answer is no one owns those magazines now, or may, or maybe Norm Jacobs do, did, or I'm sure. You know, I'm, I'm he probably still does. Or yeah. uh, At that point, as far as I knew, he didn't sell the wrestling titles. Oh, that's as interesting. As far as I knew at that point. And then how did it go from that to how did the books happen? Was that was that something that was through Starlog or was it no, something completely Starlog different? Do it, completely different. A fellow named Bert Sugar. Oh big, yes, of course. Big boxing guy I knew. And uh and this was before WrestleMania one. Before he says, I I I got a deal to do a wrestling book. Some people want a wrestling book. Norm and uh, in his in his way. He says, the only person that's going to do it is with me is you. He says, because I don't know anything about this. <laughs> so, oh, okay. So it was Bert Sugar and myself. We did uh, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right. And I, I forget the name of the one that uh, – there was one I had, and I loved it so much. And what, what grabbed me, like I said at the beginning, was there was a shot, and I don't know if it was on the cover. Maybe it was. And it was Hulk Hogan when he was still with Freddie Blassie. Yeah, and he, and he had the mushroom cloud yeah. in, on his chest, his chest sure. hair, which I thought back then was supposed to be a T. I couldn't <laughs> figure out if it was a T for Terry or if it was a mushroom cloud. But, you know, you're talking about, like you said, this is at the height of Hulkamania and WrestleMania and everything. And I had I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little kid. I had no idea that Hulk Hogan used to be a bad guy and all this stuff. And I'm looking at it. And my head is exploding, you know, and I grabbed it at the Staten Island Mall. <laughs> I brought I I don't know what happened to it. This is like 35 years ago. God knows what happened to it. But yeah. that book was a game changer. Well, it, so so the first book was the, the Good, the Bad and the Ugly. And then we did a book, Wrestling's, Wrestling's Great Grudge Batches. And all the pictures were mine. And half of the writing was mine. Or if I didn't write it, I... I gave him an outline and he would, and uh, Bert would then uh, write a couple of the, the bios in the book. But the, after we did the first two, we did, we did one more uh, small thing. And then he says, says, I don't want anything to do with wrestling for now. When anybody asks me for wrestling, it's just you. So yeah. after that, I did, uh, I want to say altogether, I've done 12. So that'd be 
nine, ten others after that. Amazing. And I think, you know, the funny thing about Bert Sugar, I've talked to a lot of people about him because, you know, as as you said, he was a big boxing guy and my grandfather was involved in boxing and he knew he knew Bert for a long mm-hmm. time. And from what I understand, he, he, the attitude he had was he sort of liked to keep the wrestling at arm's length. And what yeah, you said, may, you know, confirms yeah. that, that he he sort of held his nose a little bit with it. Yeah, he did. But then he saw what we did with it. And, yeah. Uh, any of, the, any of the boxing books he ever did, he did a lot, never sold as much as the first wrestling book. And again, right. this, this was before WrestleMania 1. So when WrestleMania 1 came, the book is out, and I got Sergeant Slaughter, who had just left the WWE, a big deal, and he wasn't at WrestleMania 1, do a book signing with us at a Barnes & Noble on Fifth Avenue in New York City. And at that time, it was the largest book sale they ever had we sold uh 1500 hardcover books wow holy cow i yeah. would be happy if i sold 15 at one of mine <laughs> it, was holy a, cow. it was a line all the way down fifth avenue but at this point wrestling was huge yeah it, it was right before wrestlemania one and people love sergeant slaughter and that's what it was you know and yeah that was in the morning of that show i i brought him onto ktu radio station and he did something with uh, Jay Thomas. He was the he was the morning DJ, and he told them what he was going to be doing, and I, I'm sure that helped also. You know. And that's wild to be coming back into the New York market right after he left, and right when they're doing, yeah. you know, like you said, WrestleMania in the New York market. I always thought it was such a missed opportunity, unfortunately, because Sarge was at one time like the biggest thing they had. Honestly, he was as yeah, big as Hogan, and he came back anyway, and he became big and. He did. He became the bad sergeant. Yeah. I remember, you know, when I worked at WWE, he was there. He was, you know, working behind the scenes. And and he he told me at the time that and I guess this is public knowledge now, but one of the big reasons that he left was over all the G.I. Joe stuff, because Vince, Vince, I guess, wanted to have a piece of that. And Sarge was kind of like, hey, that's my thing. You had nothing to do with that. That's me. And I think he must have felt like he could make more money doing gi joe than than working for vince yeah but then he went to the awa and uh he he might have had a couple of bigger years but he had a he had a longer career yeah he did but boy that when he was feuding with the iron sheik and i mean that was red hot that had to be the hottest program going on in the country at that time oh yeah yeah but for, for some reason, I, I remember going to Los Angeles, some WrestleMania, and unlike fans, nothing against fans, I love them, they they know every WrestleMania when they can the lineup where it was, the time of every match. Everything is one big mishmash. I mean, I, I don't know. But I, I know it was Los Angeles and uh, was Slaughter against Hogan. Yes, that's WrestleMania 7. See, I'm one of those crazy fans, George. But... <laughs> But you're so right about that. And, and I find that even um, when I talk to the wrestlers and uh, um, the older wrestlers, not the not the younger guys, but the older wrestlers, they they have the same uh, attitude as you, where it's like it's all a big jumble. You know, to them, it's their job. And and they don't always remember all the details. Like I remember I would ask people like somebody like Ric Flair or whatever, and I would talk to him about the titles that he would won and. And he would say, and a lot of them would say, well, I don't know. You probably know more about it than I do. 
but I feel like the younger guys, though, they're more like fans. They remember every little detail of everything. I remember now, but 20 years yeah. down the road, <laughs> it's it's all going to come into one big uh, mishmash. What, you know, what I, yeah, no, go on, go on. No, like uh, like Flair has had so many different incidents. incidents. He's no way he's going to remember them all or in the correct order. Right. But but there are people who can tell you exactly it's match, match, match by match by match by match. And, and what I find that they, they a lot of times what the older guys remember better is the houses they drew. They will tell you they a specific house or how much money they drew. They'll have a better memory of that than any title. Most people don't realize. Most people don't realize this. They today you you're you're paid to work and you whatever you get you get. Back then. They're paid depending on how many people filled that building. That's why they know how much it was. And when there used to be spot shows, and they would tell they would tell me, go out, how many people you think are at this show? And I would look at, at the rows, look how many rows count. And I was really good with predicting how many people. And depending on the number of people, that depending on how much they knew they were going to get for that particular show. And I think back then, too, that is why – they would have a lot of respect for, I'm not saying guys don't have respect now, but they would have a lot of respect for the headliners, like let's say a Bruno Sammartino or a Hulk Hogan, because the attitude was, if he's on the show, we're all getting paid. Yeah, yeah. They wanted a show, with, uh, depending on what it was, Ivan Putsky. If Ivan Putsky was the main event in the spot show, the under underneath guys were happy because they knew that he was a big draw and they were going to get more than if they were at a show with uh, Tony Guerrero as the headline. Yeah. And, and it seems like the nowadays the least important thing of anything is the live attendance, you know, because there's so much money being made in so many different ways. Like I, I cover live attendances and uh, of shows and things and a lot of the work I do. And let me tell you something. The numbers they draw now, WWE, AEW, the numbers they're drawing the live shows every week in the old days, that would have been a sign that you were going out of business. The yes. Kind of numbers they're doing. Yeah. 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people at a TV, you know, at, at, a, at a show would have been considered a disaster back then. Oh, for sure. But they, uh, they're making money off, off of the TV. Right. And TV rights and pay-per-view and things to the point mm-hmm. where it almost doesn't even matter how many people show up. It's like they need the crowd there to make the noise. But that's really the most important thing that, you know, they don't really they, they could probably let them all in for free and they'd be well, fine. How about a COVID? That's what happened. <laughs> right. That is what happened. It that's showed what happened. you what wrestling would look like without fans. And I think, you know, they need the fans because the fans help the, the show sound and look yeah. better. But they certainly don't need them there for for revenue, at least not the big companies. They no, don't. No. But they, but they, but they depended on. Uh, they, they depended on attendance. So that's why Bruno would say, I drew this, I drew that, and, and right. back the same. And the number of sellouts, you know, that would always yeah. be so proud of how many times they would sell out such and such and such a building or whatever. And, you know, even, you know, in the, in the, in later years, like I know Vince was always so very proud of that WrestleMania three crowd they had at the silver dome, yeah. you know, and there would be pictures of it everywhere. I remember, in, in Vince's office for a while there, there was a giant blow up picture of the um, of the Pontiac Silverdome crowd 
And and what I found out was really interesting was years later, I found out that his father, Vince Sr., in his office, he had a giant picture of the crowd at Comiskey Park with Buddy Rogers and Pat O'Connor in the sixth in this in 61, because in at that time, that was a record breaking mm-hmm. crowd. And he was so proud of that. So it's like, you know, the same idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They were very proud of the of the houses they drew, and you know, with good reason. But it's very it's a very different business now. Yeah, but 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 that another thing is that fans don't don't realize um, it was every night of the week, yeah, in a different city for fifty two weeks a year. So if you were in Orlando, you know, every Wednesday night you were going to see wrestling for the rest of the year. Yeah. So, so when when they finally was taken over, the people had to go through culture shock. I mean, because mm. this is something that they live for every every Tuesday, every Wednesday, every Thursday. And now you have, and then and then that would switch to the WWF coming there maybe two or three times a year. No, that's all you got. And you know, there's really something to be said for that. I, I always say it: the ability that they would have to draw so consistently you know like memphis at the mid-south coliseum they were doing it every single week the garden was doing it once a month which is still amazing you know cobo arena in detroit they were doing it every two weeks to be able to do it like that constantly and like you said there would be in those days any night of the week you could have maybe eight nine ten major i'm not talking about like a little indie show major shows happening all over north america any night of the week with huge stars on those shows. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would pick and choose depending on who was, who was where and I would make sure that at least twice a month I would go somewhere to fill up material for the magazines. And so what were, I mean, were you, were there areas where you went to more often than others territories and things where you got most of I, I your stuff from? Florida. I went to Florida more than I went anywhere else. And I don't probably, blame you. <laughs> yeah, it was it was great. I'm talking I'm talking eighties style Kevin Sullivan Dusty era in right. Florida. But in New York, you were able to see Florida championship wrestling on UHF every week. So you're able to follow it. So I I knew what was going on. And and then I was again I was trending with a few different guys and they would say, uh, there's gonna be a blow off in three weeks. We're gonna be at and that would that would be like their quote pay per view, <laughs> right? Unquote, you know. But that that's what it was, and I would make sure I would go there, and I would I would went to a lot to uh, world class in Texas. Wow, and every you, you, uh, every other month or so. Yeah, and I know you were at the big Texas uh, stadium show yes. with Kerry Von Erich and Ric Flair, right? Of course, yes. Yeah. Did did you do the? I'm sorry, I didn't know if you wanted to say something no, about no. that. But the there was also the you're talking about Florida. There was the big Tampa Stadium show with Dusty Rhodes and Harley Race. Did you do that? Yes. And then wow. uh, I want to I want to say uh, Superstar Graham against Harley. That's right. They had the so-called title unification match where nobody <laughs> actually unified the title. Yeah. In, in the in the rain, in the rain, it was pouring. It was like almost like a hurricane or whatever. Outside in the rain, I said, "What am I standing here for?" <laughs> <laughs> I've and, seen um, pictures and video of it. Yeah, you know. 
And you, uh, but in those days, like you said, you know, the weather could really affect the turnout because there was so much walk up business. Like the the Pedro Morales Bruno match at Shea Stadium didn't do as well as it could have done because it was pouring raining on that day. Yeah, it was cold, cold September day, I think. Yeah, it was rain. You know, it was it wasn't like a pouring crazy rain, but it was drizzling all day. The seats were wet. Everything was yeah. damp and gross. But the um, but the the Tampa show uh, actually the one we were talking about is what they called the Super Bowl of wrestling, where they had Harley Race. As the NWA champion, they had Superstar Graham as the yeah. as the WWF champion, and that was a really big deal at the time, wasn't it? It was very big, and uh, I, Graham. See again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. I I don't remember exactly the days and everything. I just know I was there. I can't tell even tell you the year, but. Uh, but, but Graham had, had had been champion. He says, you got to come. You got to come. And that's why I went. I was good friends with Superstar. I drove him a lot. <laughs> I drove him around to many of his uh, many of his matches. Wow. That must have been something. Yeah. And I think they also had Gorilla Monsoon as the referee for that match, if I remember right. No, I, I couldn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> All you know is that you were getting rain dumped on your head. I was getting rain on, and I was afraid I was going to ruin my camera. <laughs> uh, but that was the reason, I, you know, like the camera's going to malfunction in the rain. I, I don't blame you. Now, now for the for the Dusty and Harley race one at Tampa, my understanding was it wasn't there was no rain, but it was insanely hot that night. Uh -huh. I don't know if you remember that, but that's what I've heard. Know. Really know. And uh, and aside to this, is it people will people will say, oh, well, you, that move. Talk about different moves and about <laughs> different things, but you got to remember, myself and Bill and any other photographer, we're really looking at the action through this little hole. Right. I don't have the ability to see to sit back, eat popcorn, and look at the whole scope right. of the right. Things. We're looking at this little hole. And and you know, but but there's there's a real skill to that that always amazes me. And I used to even talk to the WWE guys about it, like our photographers that we had then, um, Tom Buchanan, John Giamundo, Rich Frieda, those guys. Is like, how do you? How you must have some kind of an instinct when you're there to know. How do you know when something? good is about to happen that's going to be really photogenic like is there a secret to that at all no but but by the more you do the more you learn how this fellow moves this way or back and forth what they do and you can read the moves if you watch it enough and i was seeing the same people so many times i'm able to read what they're going to do next just just because right and you just kind of know where yeah. you need to be, you know, it looks like I need to be over here for this, or I need to be over yeah. there for that. Yeah, you're, able to, you're able to read it just, just by doing it as much as you're doing it, you know, yeah. but I can't live a match and then matches on a card because I, I didn't, I, especially when I was doing the magazines, after I finished that particular issue, I'm on to the next one and the next right. one. Right. So I didn't have time at night to review videos and to, assess what they did and give them a star rating and i just <laughs> no of course not but i mean with all the photos you've taken i couldn't even take a guess as to how many is there is there maybe one or even a couple 
in your mind where you were just like, this is my favorite picture that I've ever taken in wrestling? Well, that, that's the question I get asked all the time. Oh, I'm and sorry. I, I asked no, the cliche it, question. No, I always try not to do that, but okay. <laughs> no, no, but I, I, but but the answer has to be answer has to be the picture of Andre with the four girls. Oh right! Oh my God! I completely forgot to mention that because people have to. If you're listening to this show, you know that picture. And I don't know if you remember this. I'm going to just say when I was at WWE. We you had the big show. <laughs> yes, we did that. We we recreated it with the big show. And I reached out to you and I interviewed you for that story back then because we were trying to figure, you know, we, we wanted to use the original and put it up next to the next to the new one we did. We yeah, also yeah. we also learned how hard it is to actually do that because um in the picture with Andre. It kind of looks like he's he's he has a wall behind him that I think is helping out a little bit because we were we didn't he didn't no, have a wall no. behind him. Okay. He had a wall behind him, but he was not on the wall. Because I will say this, and I uh, I'm sorry to Big Show Paul White <laughs> if I'm revealing this, but he couldn't do it. It was too much for him. We had the four yeah. I we had the four girls, two on each arm, and they were not. You know, we picked petite girls. They weren't like. In Andre's picture, they're wrestlers. They're they're lady yeah, wrestlers. They're, they're Moolah's girls. And they were right. <laughs> Those were some tough girls. With Big Show, we had models. They were these these little delicate little models. And even then, he kind of we were trying to do it. I think we were trying to do it in the ring. And he's going, man, I can't do this. And we had to fake it a little bit. Where we we um I yeah. think we we siloed him out of the picture a little. <laughs> The background, but he's kind of leaning on something. We're kind of cheating a little bit. I'm giving it away here, but he couldn't do it. Okay, well, Andre did it. Wow. And Mr. Mr. McMahon Sr., I, I walk into the Philadelphia Arena and says, I, I, I need a picture of Andre. I want to show how strong he is, and we want to use it as a promotion. What what do you anything you want to do? I said, I know you got the girls on the show tonight. He says, let's take a picture of Andre with the, with the women surrounding him. I didn't know how it was going to be. And he said, I said, well, then I said, yeah, maybe him holding him up. I just, I just came out with that. So Arnold Scullin went and got the girls. They came, they came over and Andre put down one arm, put down the other arm. One girl got on, another girl got on. The second girl got on, and then he went like this. And I went, boom, boom. He said, boss, you got it? I said, I got it. Okay. That's I took, fantastic. I took maybe three, but I want to tell you, I took two shots. And you, and you didn't look in the back to see if the exposure was right, to see if the flash went off. It was just boom, boom. And then you cross your fingers and you develop it and see what happened. <laughs> okay. That is there was wild. a wall, and he was not on the wall. And in the girl on the left, and it was Debbie Johnson. It looks like she's holding onto a pipe, yes. but she's not. She's not because there wasn't enough time. Because if she would have held onto the pipe, she would have upset the the balance of what was going on. Right. She just, she just, she just reached her arm up. Yeah, that is. I'm I'm so glad that that came up because I almost forgot to mention it. That that picture is, 
That picture wrestling. will live forever. You know, that's well, something. People who are not wrestling fans have seen it. It's just, it's something that you've seen. And I was in a, a All-American Diner, L.A., and uh, this burgers, whatever, All-American Diner, serving burgers and what have you. And uh, look at the menu. And on the menu, is like, it's, it's got Schwarzenegger or whatever. And there is a picture of Andre with the girls in the menu. So I said, I said, I took that picture. Says, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I took that picture. So they, so the the girl says, ah, hey, here's some French fries for your picture. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that's gratitude, right, George? Yeah, I, I got a, I got a plate of fries. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that we got to that before we, before we finished, because I would have been kicking myself for days if I didn't bring that up. And, and once I post the this interview, I'm gonna post. You know the your picture and the one that we did and your yours is way better by the way <laughs> because well especially because he did it for real but that is a an amazing story thank you so much you're welcome thank you for doing this too by the way I I, I know you're busy and I'm I'm so grateful that you you gave me your time to talk about well, these uh, incredible memories you make me relive uh, a period of my life where I had a good time and everything was fun and not a hassle everything worked worked out and i'm still involved let's just say i'm still involved but not really so that's why i don't go to many shows because people say what are you going to do with these pictures and i i can lie and say i'm going to put them put them on the internet you know like, like what does it mean it's it, it means so many people taking pictures but most of it doesn't really mean amount to much you know and, well uh, I think there's a lot of people that would disagree because I know that the work that you've done has affected so many fans over the years. I've said this to other people I've had on here, but sometimes if you're too close to it, you don't realize it. So it's my job here today to tell you, thank you. And and you have made such an impact with so many, so many wrestling fans over the years. Well, thank you. Thank you. Very nice. Very nice compliment, but I'm glad I did. And I enjoyed doing what I did. There you have it, folks, my conversation with the legendary and the beloved Mr. George Napolitano. I, I always am grateful when I am able to sit and, and just pick the brains and the memories of people like George who have had these unbelievable careers intertwining through the various parts of the wrestling business for so long. You know, I could just sit there forever with George and ask him, what was this match like? What was it like shooting this match? What was it like being at this show? You know, and I, I, I will never, ever get tired of doing interviews like that and having conversations like that. So I hope that you enjoy listening to them. Um, also want to make mention that next week we have episode 46. And for that episode, my guest is going to be someone that I worked with on WWE Magazine and other projects back in the day. His name is Marco Torelli, and he is one of those former Titan employees that I think you are going to love listening to. He also continues my streak of great Italian-Americans in the wrestling business. We are now at two weeks in a row. Um, let's see how long we can keep that rally going. But anyway, Marco is a great friend. Marco is a great storyteller. He's got great memories 
He's also also happens to be a great artist. So this is going to be a fun interview, and I think you're going to love it. So stay tuned. That is going to be next week, episode 46 of Shut Up and Wrestle. Also on the way will be another of the legendary photographers of pro wrestling history, journalists, writers, Mr. Bill Apter. Bill Apter coming to Shut Up and Wrestle. Also got a couple of other interviews in the works, which I hope to be able to bring to you in the weeks to come, um, the the longtime veteran Midwest independent wrestler Attila Khan will be a guest upcoming on Shut Up and Wrestle, as will be the voice of the wrestling news and I believe some other wrestling-related radio shows that he may be involved with. Mike Sempervivi will be coming up soon on Shut Up and Wrestle. Keep listening. You can find our website, suawpod.com. That's a great place to find the podcast. You can also go to wherever you find your great podcasts that you enjoy listening to. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Podbean. Wherever you go, wherever you go to find your podcasts, you'll find Shut Up and Wrestle. I also encourage you to join the Facebook group. It's a lot of fun. I love sharing content, information, asking questions, answering questions. It's a great place. Go to Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon on Facebook and you will find it. I encourage you to join. I also encourage you to check out Pro Wrestling Illustrated, as I mentioned, pwi-online.com. The other magazine that I write for is Inside the Ropes magazine. And of course, that uh, the current issue has, has part one of my breakdown of the territorial era of wrestling. So you're going to want to check that out. InsideTheRopesMagazine.com. My biography of the original Sheik, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik, is available on Amazon and other outlets in print, digital, and audio format. Still out there. Encourage you to get a copy. And yes, I know I've promised to reveal what my next wrestling book project is going to be. Not quite ready yet. The holidays, you know, they sort of have a way of slowing things down. So as soon as I have um, assurance and certainty and it's written in stone, I will be letting all of you know what it will be. But in the meantime, Blood and Fire is out there. Of course, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast, the other podcast which I do with the great Al Castle, uh, you can find that online as well, the PWI podcast. And... Um, the wrestling news, as I mentioned, because we have Mike Sempervivi coming on as a guest soon. We'll be talking about that. The wrestling news is your daily morning stop for all of the wrestling news content that you could possibly want in audio, in audio format. It's a great listen in the car. If you're out doing your morning run, whatever it may be, maybe if you're at work trying to waste some time while the boss isn't looking, the wrestling news is a great listen. 10, 15 minutes of your time every morning. It's exactly what you're looking for if you want to keep up on what's going on in the world of pro wrestling. If you are looking for me on social media, I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. You can also find me on Facebook, my my author Facebook page, Brian Solomon Writer. And if you go to any one of those uh, social media platforms, you will find the link to my author web page. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in. And here's to sugar on the strawberries. 
So long, wrestling fans. Hey!